The main passage we will read for the scripture reading this evening is from Luke 7. But we first turn to two Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. A few verses from each one of those chapters, which will prepare us also for the preaching tonight. Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 35, 1 through 6. This is a prophecy of Christ and the coming of his kingdom. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Now notice these verses, well, especially verse 4 then, God will come with vengeance. And then verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. That's Isaiah 35. Then Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, something very similar. Uh, Another prophecy of Christ's kingdom and the coming of his kingdom, which, of course, John the Baptist was preaching, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so that's why we're reading this. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, the afflicted. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So you have uh, prophecies here of healing and um, preaching and then also of vengeance in both of these passages. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 7. And we will begin at verse 11. In the first 10 verses of Luke 7, Jesus heals the centurion's servant. And now in verse 11, he's going to do another miracle. And then the text will be verses 18 through 23. Luke 7, verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Now verses 18 through 23 are the text. I ask that you pay particular attention here. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now we keep reading. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out in the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what, what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. So far we read God's holy and infallible Word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one purpose of this series, of course, is to look more closely at Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly in all His glory. But a connected purpose is also this, so that as we see Jesus, we might be encouraged, and we might be encouraged in our Christian walk. And that's what I have in mind tonight also. 
There are some here tonight who are spiritually struggling. I don't know who you are, but you most certainly are here. There are some struggling here this evening with their trust in the Lord. There are some struggling to believe God's good promises. There are some struggling perhaps because of tragedy that has hit their lives. And then Satan comes and tries to plant all kinds of doubts and discouragements. There are times when we wonder whether God is really there. When our prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling wall or or off the ceiling. And we feel unheard and alone in the world. Suddenly and often quite unexpectedly, there are things that we've believed for many years that are, that are seriously challenged. Maybe some of us are even tempted to doubt whether the Bible really is the Word of God. Maybe you hear about sin in the church, and you have certain expectations about what the church and what church leaders should be like, and what you see and experience is different than what you were expecting. I will tell you bluntly, I also have gone through spiritual struggles. Maybe even the Michigan winter weather has contributed to it. Maybe there are other factors involved. But we all have these struggles. Doubts and temptations. I remember when I struggled in college. I didn't feel really that I would abandon the Christian faith, although except for the grace of God, there I would go. But there was that pressure there. Pressure from the college classes. Pressures from the opportunities to sin that were present on campus and off campus. And it was challenging. Questions arose and my faith was severely challenged. What we want to see in this passage tonight is that Jesus is one who cares. Jesus cares for the spiritually struggling. Jesus does not break the bruised reed. He does not quench the smoking flax. He cares. He is tender. And He is not ashamed to be called the Savior of those who are spiritually struggling. We take as our theme, a heart that cares for the spiritually struggling. And we look at that theme under two points. First, we look at John's doubts, and then second, we look at Jesus' answer. We're going to look at John the Baptist and his spiritual struggles. As we begin, I want to point out that there are two ways in which this passage is explained. Some will say that John the Baptist sends out two of his disciples to Jesus because those two disciples themselves were struggling with these spiritual struggles and these questions. And it's as if then John sends out his disciples to Jesus in order that they might have their own faith strengthened as, his, as disciples of John. Others, however, say that John sends out two of his disciples to Jesus because John himself is struggling. And that's how I understand the passage. I think that's the main way in which this passage is understood. And I think verse 22 is very clear on the matter. In verse 22, Jesus says, Go your way and tell John. Tell John what things ye have seen and heard. John the Baptist is the one struggling with these doubts. Now the reason, the impression I have, why some people want to say that it was John's disciples who were the ones struggling and not John himself personally is because it seems so shocking. 
It seems so astonishing that John the Baptist himself could be struggling, questioning whether Jesus is the Christ. After all, this is the John the Baptist. Let's remember who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist was the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So that he even leaped for joy when he heard about the coming of Jesus. Jesus is, or John the Baptist is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. As Matthew's account puts it, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist received the direct commission from God to, to baptize with water. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus himself at the Jordan River. John the Baptist was the one who saw the Holy Spirit come out of heaven and descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. And he heard that voice out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he heard the voice of God and, and, and he heard the witness of God. Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John was the one who pointed out in the midst of the crowd, pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is the one who said, Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He, he, he grew up with Jesus. We, we may presume he, that there was interaction between those two families, Mary's family and Elizabeth's family. He must have known the stories about Jesus' birth. John the Baptist was the one who knew, we might say more than anyone else, that Jesus is the Christ. He spoke with such boldness. He spoke with such conviction. He knew so much. And yet here he is. Struggling. Look at verse 19. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them unto Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another. Are you the Christ? That's quite astonishing. I know you are the Christ. But are you? I'm finding this hard to believe right now. Are you the Christ? And beloved, I want to be encouraging right away if there are any here tonight who are struggling. Look at John, the greatest prophet to be born of women, the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, and he is struggling with his faith. There is no temptation which hath befallen you that is not common to man. If John could doubt, John, then when I struggle with my faith, there's hope for me too. The fact is, there are many of God's people, many great leaders who struggled spiritually. This is not to encourage us to feed our spiritual struggles, but it is to encourage us that when we struggle, we are not some exceptionally weak or sinful Christians. Think of Elijah under the juniper tree, Spiritually depressed, ready to throw in the towel. Lord, I am ready to die. How many have been there? 
Think of Jeremiah, who even came to the point of calling God a deceitful brook. You were deceitful to me. Jeremiah 15 verse 18, Jeremiah says, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Talk about someone whose faith is struggling. Think about Asaph. We already sang from Psalm 73, the choir director during the days of David. And what he says, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Living a righteous life has only brought misery upon me. I'm ready to give up. He says, my, my feet had almost slipped. These are great men. Great men who struggled with doubt. And now here's John the Baptist. And he too is going through these same spiritual struggles. His faith is being tested. Child of God, are you struggling? Be encouraged in this. Even great men, heroes of faith, have had their struggles in life too. And even in the passage that follows our text, look at Jesus. Jesus immediately comes to the defense of his struggling child. Jesus says, John is not just a mere reed shaken in the wind. John is not a fickle, vacillating Christian. John is the greatest that has been born of women. John is just struggling right now. And I do not condemn him because he is struggling right now. That's what Jesus is saying in the passage that follows. What went you out for to see? A reed shaken in the wind? John is not a reed shaken in the wind. He's much more than that. He's much more than a prophet. He's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But he's struggling. He is struggling. We should go on now and ask, well, why? Why was John struggling? Doubting whether Jesus was the Christ. Well, there are a few things we can point out. First, we need to appreciate the circumstances of John's life at this time. John was going through a personal tragedy and hardship. John, of course, was in prison. According to Josephus, according to church history, John was locked up in the gloomy fortress of Machaerus, located on the east side of the Dead Sea, right, in, in desert territory, perched on a high, desolate ridge by the Dead Sea. As one commentator put it, a more desolate, formidable place is difficult to imagine. And it was also there, in that desert place, on the other side of the Dead Sea, that John would soon have his head cut off and put on a plate and presented for Herodias. And according to some, by the time of this event in Luke 7, John the Baptist was in that hilltop dungeon called Machaerus for about five months to ten months. Being cooped up in a dungeon like that would get me feeling down too, having all that time to think and wait and wonder. And then in addition, consider, what had John done wrong? What had he done to deserve this? This isn't fair, we might say, from an earthly point of view. John was a faithful prophet. He was doing the work of the Lord faithfully. He was even one who took upon himself a Nazarite vow to be fully devoted to the Lord. And, and it's this kind of treatment that falls upon him? It doesn't seem fair. John was going through a time of tragedy in his life. 
And you can understand how, with these circumstances, you have the occasion to start doubting and questioning. But second of all, we need to look at the passage itself. And in verse 18 is where we really get our answer to the question, why was John struggling? Verse 18, And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. That's why John was struggling. What things were shown to John? Well, the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. Healing the centurion servant who was at the point of death. Raising the son of the widow of Nain. In earlier chapters, we read of Jesus healing the demon-possessed, healing the lame, cleansing the lepers. And all these things get reported to John. His disciples come visit him in the wilderness and report these things to him. And how does John respond? Verse 19, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And so what is John struggling with? John is struggling with this. He is confused as to what he is supposed to be looking for. He is confused as to what his expectations for the Messiah ought to be. Just consider the following. First of all, why wasn't Jesus bringing judgment upon the wicked? After all, wasn't that the main part of John's ministry? John's ministry was, in many ways, a ministry of fire and brimstone. The axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The Messiah is coming, and he has his fan in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bring forth fruit that shows a repentant heart. And yet what is Jesus doing? Is he destroying the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the hypocrites ruling in the land? Is he bringing judgment upon the wicked? The report John hears from his disciples is this. Jesus is full of mercy and compassion for the poor and the needy. He's healing the sick. He's delivering the demon-possessed. He's raising people from the dead. But I thought Jesus was going to bring judgment on the wicked. So John the Baptist is confused about what he's supposed to be looking for. Art thou he that should come? Or should we look for another? In addition, consider this. Where's the kingdom that Jesus was going to usher in? Right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message as he was preparing the way for the king. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. Yet, where is Jesus establishing his kingdom? Where is this warfare against the leaders of Israel and against the Romans? Instead, Jesus is busy helping the poor and the sick. What's going on? And in addition to that, consider this. Where is the grandeur of Jesus? The one who comes after me is greater than all. Right? That was the message. Think of Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 3 and 5. You have a prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3 of John the Baptist. The voice of one, of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John's calling. He's the the forerunner of Jesus. And two verses later we read, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, 
for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And now here, in prison, John must have been thinking, I was the voice in the wilderness, but where now is this glory of the Lord? Where is this grandeur, this might, this glorious power, so that all the world is quaking before Jesus? I don't see it. And so John asks, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? John is struggling with what he's supposed to be looking for. He is confused about what his expectations for the Messiah ought to be. He thought Jesus would be one thing. And Jesus is turning out to be something a little different. And I think we could also say part of what's going on is this. John has been influenced also by his culture and the popular opinion of his day. This kind of Jesus, a a mighty, powerful king riding on a white stallion who's coming to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish a powerful kingdom who's going to bring glory to Israel. That's what the people were expecting. That's what the disciples of Jesus were looking for again and again. And they struggle with that. And, And you see that John himself must have been struggling with the same thing. And of course, John is still in the Old Testament. He doesn't have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. His struggles are the same as the rest of God's people. And so John says, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? These were John's spiritual struggles. Well, when we turn to ourselves this evening for a moment, I think we can say, Aren't these exactly the same kinds of struggles we face in our own spiritual lives? First of all, we have tragedies in our lives, just like John the Baptist. Think of the death of a loved one, the death of a child. Think of broken relationships. Think of constant infirmities of the body or a constantly stressful relationship in your life. These things wear you down. Just like being in prison would wear you down. Think of financial stresses, money hardships that are always a burden. And sometimes then you're brought to that place where you're asking, where is God? Why is God doing this? And then Satan comes along and he tempts you to give up walking the Christian life. And then besides those tragedies, there are the expectations we have of who Jesus is and what Jesus should be doing in my circumstances in life. Because I have my expectations of how things should go. Doesn't God love His church? Doesn't God want the right thing to be done? Isn't Jesus sitting on the throne? So why all these struggles? Doesn't God love righteousness and love mercy and those who walk humbly with their God? And yet what do you sometimes find, even in the church sometimes, but the opposite? We have our expectations. Like John, we're looking for a kingdom. Right? A kingdom of righteousness. We might say we're looking for a church that matches my vision for what a church should look like. Maybe a church that is strong and rooted in righteousness. That's what the church should be, isn't it? And so then why are there wolves that God sometimes send into the church, sends into the church? Why is there great sin sometimes in the church? Manipulators, wicked folk, why these struggles? I'm looking for a kingdom and I'm not seeing it like I'm expecting to see it. Or like John, we're sometimes looking for grandeur, right? At least spiritual grandeur. 
I want a church I can be proud of. A city on a hill. So why this constant struggle? I want a Christian life that, that I could boast in. A life of eminent godliness. So why this struggle and this, this constant being put down a peg? I want vibrant Christian missions I can boast in. Or maybe a minister for my children that I can boast in. Or a church family I can boast in. So why this struggle? I want, I want doctrine that sometimes isn't so hard to receive. That, that, that seems that, that's so easily embraced. And, and I, that's not the reality. I want the spiritual grandeur and I don't see it. And in addition, like John, we're sometimes looking for judgment upon the wicked. Right? So that all can see who the righteous are and who the wicked are. So that the righteous are vindicated and properly recognized. I want that already in this life. And yet sometimes it seems that the wicked are protected and the righteous suffer. And I've washed my hands in, 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 in vain. That happens a lot, doesn't it? And you know what the temptation is? The temptation is to become offended. That's where Jesus is going in verse 23 with John. Verse 23, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. John was tempted to be offended at Jesus, literally to be scandalized. Jesus continues to show mercy. Where's the judgment? Why doesn't Jesus stop the corrupt Sanhedrin? Those Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the, the hypocrites. Why doesn't he purge his threshing floor? It's almost like Jesus is allowing sin to go unchecked. And maybe we feel the same way. Why doesn't Jesus do anything here? This ungodly culture that surrounds us, this wicked world. I was talking to a friend this past week, and he told me about how he was in the Netherlands years ago, and he was riding on a train and just open offensive sin right across the seat from him. And, and, and you ask yourself, why is Jesus putting up with this? Why isn't he doing anything? It's all a weariness. The wicked flourish like a bay tree and God's people continue to struggle and we're tempted to become offended. And then what happens? There's the temptation to become spiritually depressed or doubt, even doubting the Christian faith. Oh yes, I do believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when I don't see God the way that I'm expecting to see God, then these doubts enter my mind. That's what John is struggling with. He's struggling with doubt. And now notice what John does. He goes to Jesus. And that shows us John's faith. Even as he's struggling, he goes to Jesus for help. And think about it this way. If John really was questioning whether Jesus was the Christ, do you think he would have sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him whether he was the Christ? Of course not. John knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. But he was struggling. He was simply struggling. His faith was weak, so he goes to Jesus for help. He's seeking the Lord. And that's what we should do too. Just because we struggle doesn't mean we're not Christians. 
But when we struggle, we need to go to Jesus. In fact, that struggle itself is evidence of spiritual life. The fact that there is a struggle. Well, that brings us to the second point of the sermon. And the answer Jesus gives John. John goes to Jesus through his disciples. He sends them from prison to go to Jesus. And how does Jesus answer the question that is brought to him by these disciples of John? Verses 21 and 22. And in that same hour he cured... So this is his answer, right? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Now that might seem like a strange way to answer John's questions. Jesus doesn't say, Tell John, of course I'm the Messiah. Tell John he should be ashamed of himself for doubting. Jesus doesn't do that. But neither does Jesus provide any new information for John whatsoever. It's very striking. Jesus continues to do exactly the same as what he's been doing for the last three, four chapters. It's like Jesus invites the disciples of John to sit with him and stay a while. And then what does he do as they sit there? He cures the sick. He casts out devils. He's giving sight to the blind. He preaches the gospel to the poor. And Jesus says to the disciples, Now go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. And what's the point? The point is this. Jesus is telling John, John, you need to re-examine the things that I am doing. John, you're misunderstanding things. John, the blind are given their sight back and the lame are walking. Let that sink in, John. And the point Jesus is making is this. John, you know your scriptures. Isn't this exactly what the Old Testament prophets said I would do? Isn't this exactly what the promised Messiah would come to do? Think of Isaiah 35 that we read. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams shall break out in the desert. That's a prophecy Of the coming kingdom. Remember John's preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is a prophecy. Of the kingdom of the Messiah. And Jesus says John. Aren't my miracles. And what I am doing exactly in line. With that prophecy. Think of Isaiah 62. Jesus read this passage. When he first began his public ministry. In Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, unto the poor, the afflicted. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. When John's disciples came to John and told him what Jesus had said to them, it would have forced John to think more deeply in prison about who Jesus is. Be quiet, think for a moment of who Jesus is. John knew Jesus was the Messiah, but John was struggling. And when the disciples of John came back this reply, it would have made him think more deeply about who Jesus is. And I think the struggle that John would have had was this. Yes, these passages are fulfilled in Jesus. But these passages also speak of vengeance. Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, they both speak of vengeance upon the wicked. Where is that vengeance? I don't see it. And what John needed to realize is that that vengeance was still coming. But it wouldn't be shown so much in Jesus' first coming. But it will be shown especially in Jesus' second coming. Remember that prophetic perspective of the kingdom? So that first coming and second coming are all in one. And the point is, John was wrongly interpreting and understanding what Jesus was doing. John had his own preconceived ideas, notions about what was going to happen. And what he was seeing with his eyes wasn't matching up with the notions he had in his head. Really, it's the exact same struggle that the disciples of Jesus had over and over again. Remember the night that Jesus was arrested? What happened to all the disciples? They were all offended at him. They were scandalized because they had their own notions of how things should go. And Jesus wasn't matching up to their notion of how things should go. That's where Jesus says in verse 23, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And what Jesus is saying there is this, Trust me, John. I truly do all things right. I am the Messiah. You need to trust in me and what I am doing. Look at the scriptures again. Are they not being fulfilled in me? Am I not fulfilling them? Trust me, John. Be patient, John. Follow my lead, John. I think that's the answer we so often need as well. Follow my lead. Trust me. Because I have my own preconceived idea of how things should go. Right? You do too. We think we're wise. We think we know how things should go. But we have our own vision of how things should go. And we struggle with the exact same thing John was struggling with. What is the kingdom of God? Oh yes, we know it's a spiritual kingdom. We, we understand that much. But how often still don't we want to somehow identify God's kingdom here on earth with, with something earthly here below? Maybe something earthly that we can still boast in. Maybe in a denominal, denominational name of one kind or another. Something that has earthly glory, at least according to our notions of things. And then God disabuses us of such notions. 
And then we have struggles. And maybe God says, maybe your preconceived ideas need to change a little bit. Or consider this. What is the grandeur and glory of the church here below? A nice, beautiful building, right? Congregation, there is no earthly glory for the church here below. Just look at Jesus himself and his cross. There was no earthly glory for Jesus. He was cursed and condemned to die. And just as it is with the head, so it is with the body. I have this preconceived notion that there should be some glory for the church. After all, we are the church, the body of Christ. There should be something we can boast in. Some some earthly glory of one kind or another. But there is no earthly glory. And we get a taste of that. And God says, maybe your preconceived ideas need to change a little bit. And what do we need to do? Like John the Baptist, we need to be patient, right? It's the walk of faith every day again in these realities. Keep trusting the Lord. We must not be offended at Jesus or how he chooses to operate. Putting the greatest prophet in jail and then soon having his head cut off. Don't be offended when Jesus does that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And go to his word. Know his word. And let your mind be shaped by his word, just like John the Baptist's mind needed to be shaped. I think that's one of the biggest challenges today. So many different issues, so many different struggles. I need to have my mind captive to the word of God, transformed by the renewing power of Jesus Christ, and I need to keep my eyes on Jesus And maybe I need to change my expectation of what this life is about. I think that's a real issue. What is this life about? What are your expectations for this life as a Christian, as a believer? Here on earth, there will be much that disappoints. Where do I need to change my thinking? Right? Isn't that so often how it is with my spiritual struggles? I'm struggling, not because God is unfaithful, God is righteous and holy in all His ways. But my thinking is not in line with God's thinking. And I struggle. And I I need to change my thinking. And it's hard because I am so used to thinking a certain way. And I am so earthy. I think that must have been where John the Baptist ended up. So that John's conclusion was this. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, I know he's doing what is right and good. He's doing just as the prophets foretold. And I've been gently rebuked by the word of the Lord. I was expecting something a little different. All my powerful preaching, judgment, and vengeance. But now even this side of Jesus, his mercy and compassion, and his patience, this is exactly what I need also. Jesus is the Lamb of God. I'm thinking of him only right now as the one with the axe in his hands. But he's also the Lamb of God who takes away people's diseases, who heals all their infirmities, who takes away their sin, who shows mercy, and all who come to him. He will in no wise cast out. He's the Savior after all. And he knows who he is as the Savior better than I do. And even the mercy he shows, that's what I need too. 
Because here I'm just spiritually struggling and I need mercy. And I need to trust in Him and His good timing for everything. And that's exactly where John, seeking Jesus out, going to Him, would have been such a help for him in the midst of these spiritual struggles. Jesus ministered to him. And and this is just me speaking as a man, but I think even through all this, John was well prepared for that final swing of the sword when his head was cut off. He was, he was ready to lay down his life. That's, that's just me thinking. But I think the Lord Jesus ministered to him in that way. So going to Jesus would have been a help for John the Baptist in the midst of his spiritual struggles. In congregation, that's where I would leave you this evening. Look at Jesus' interaction with John the Baptist. Jesus wasn't harsh with him. Jesus wasn't arrogant. He was tender. This is the greatest prophet. And Jesus is his perfect, compassionate Savior too. And Jesus knew exactly how to help him. And Jesus knows exactly how to help us. He cares for us in our spiritual struggles. And again, believer, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He himself suffered that death of the cross to save you from your sins. And and I lose touch of this, but how offensive isn't the cross? The cross is an emblem of death. The cross is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It would be for us too if it weren't for the grace of God. But we must not be offended at the cross. And just as we must not be offended at the cross... So then we must not be offended at how Jesus deals with us in our lives. Jesus is tender with me. He's already died on the cross for my sins, securing eternal life for me. And even now, in my day-to-day struggles, He does not reproach me for my struggles. He helps. And even this way, in His inscrutable wisdom, it's all for my good. It it is Him keeping His promises. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And when I seek Him, and I seek Him with all my heart, He will show me His faithfulness. And when you seek Him, and you seek Him with all your heart, He will show you His faithfulness. As Jesus says in verse 23, Blessed is He whosoever shall not be offended in me. Take care of that. Don't become offended in Jesus. Blessed is he. Happy is he. Happy is he. John, you can be happy in prison knowing me. This life is a valley of tears and full of struggles. Blessed is he who is not offended in Jesus. Continue to trust in Jesus. Humble yourself before him. Trust him. Follow his leading. And he will make you blessed indeed. He will make you happy. John the Baptist experienced that too. For the rest of his life, he remained in that miserable prison until the day that his head was cut off for such worthless and pathetic reasons. 
and his life ended very sadly. But he was not offended in Jesus. And John the Baptist is in glory. And John the Baptist is happy. He is happy in glory with Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, hide these truths in our hearts. Minister to us. Encourage us in our spiritual struggles. And give us that strong faith. And give us that happiness of knowing Jesus to be the Christ indeed. Our anointed King, prophet and priest, our Savior. And may we rest in Him. Use this preaching to shape our hearts and shape our lives that we might be strengthened for this week and that Thy glorious name might be exalted in us and through us. For Jesus' sake, amen.